Hello and welcome to 10 Minutes On, What Happens at COP27, a podcast from the Joint Public Issues team. My name is Hannah and I'm the Campaigns and Church Engagement Officer for JPIT. And joining me today is Steve Hucklesby, one of our policy advisors at the Methodist Church. So Steve, COP27 has just finished, even yep. if it did drag on past its final day into the weekend to try and get things kind of signed and, and finished off. And there was it was kind of a mixed message coming out of it, wasn't it? Yeah, um, the good news is on loss and damage. Uh, after um, many, many years, we finally got a loss and damage facility agreed at COP. Um, uh, I didn't expect to get this over the line at this COP, but um, uh, we had a surprise announcement from the European Union just towards the end of um, COP, and they uh, proposed um, a U-turn as far as they're concerned and uh, a way forward. Yeah, and actually, um, it's something that wasn't even really on the agenda of the COP until about three weeks beforehand. It's something that campaigners from from JPIT, people who've been campaigning through JPIT, have been calling for um, support for for a number of years now. And and just for a recap, loss and damage uh, and a fund for loss and damage, what we've been working towards is a fund where higher emitting nations would pay for climate-related loss and damage, particularly for poorer nations who are on the front lines of climate disaster. Is that what we're seeing happen here through this fund, Steve? Is it fulfilling those things? Um, it will do if it gets financed properly. Uh, the difficult, basic difficulty we have, people will, um, I think, uh, know if you've got countries like Pakistan who had these devastating floods this year, 1,500 people killed in floods. An area of um, Pakistan uh, that was flooded is larger than the landmass of the UK. Um, uh, tens of billions um, of damage done, leaving the country to take something like 40 billion in loans just to rebuild from that damage. Um, now, a country like Pakistan isn't blessed with huge um, uh, sovereign wealth. So um, that's a real problem. And that we're all conscious that climate change has come about largely because of the historic emissions, which are due to, to countries like our own. So there's a real justice there that needs to be put in place. Yeah, and there's still an ongoing conversation, isn't there, about um, who it is that should be paying into this kind of fund, who it is and, and in what circumstances people, should people be claiming from that fund to pay or should countries be claiming from that fund. And there's a lot of kind of working out of those technicalities that needs to be done over the next year or so between now and COP28, isn't there? Yes, there is. And historically, that's been a narrow group of um, nations described as developed nations. But now the question is, what happens with um, uh, contributors like China, which has got the second highest uh, carbon emissions in the world? It has per capita carbon emissions, which currently are greater than that of the European Union. Um, surely they ought to be making a contribution as well. And so that's what the argument is going to be about over the next year. And we really need to pray that we get some cool heads um, and good diplomatic people around the table to work that one through. Yeah, especially as we work towards uh, a COP that uh, COP28 looks to be taking place in Dubai next year. Um, so obviously the context and the setting of that conversation will perhaps frame some of it um, around that dynamic. Now, uh, obviously, that's a really brilliant win for us around loss and damage. 
COP27 wasn't a complete success, though, was it? There was some disappointment, perhaps, about uh, how nations upheld their commitments to keeping global warming below 1.5 degrees that was really solidified last year in the Glasgow Climate Pact. What what happened at COP27 around emissions reductions? Very little, I'm sorry to say. There was even worries that um, we might go back on some of the agreements of Glasgow last year. It's amazing, isn't it? We face this climate crisis. We can see that the climate disasters uh, are happening in different places of the world. We know that these disasters are going to become more frequent. We know that the time to to turn course um, is uh, limited. Uh, And yet, uh, we find governments of uh, some countries finding ever more creative ways of finding excuses for not taking action. Uh, Greta Thunberg suggested uh, that a COP is an exercise in greenwashing, and she chose not to turn up for that reason. I think that's um, a a bleak uh, assessment, um, but I can also understand her frustration at the same time. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, isn't it, when perhaps the voices in the room are pressuring the conversation in, in different directions. Christian Aid had a really uh, interesting phrase where they described the elephant in the room at COP27 being the fossil fuel lobby and the number of businesses and organisations there pushing for the development of new new fossil fuel sources. How do you think that's impacted the conversation? It does impact the conversation. Um, uh, there was a... 636 fossil fuel lobbyists uh, at COP27, uh, apparently. Um, Egypt, the host country, even held a meeting shortly before COP27 of the uh, gas exporting countries. And their meeting just a week before uh, set um, an ambition for the expansion of gas between now and 2050. Now, that's a message which is in completely contrary uh, to what we're trying to work out in COP. Uh, and so you've got this uh, tension in the room. I think the fossil fuel industry has as much right to be at COP uh, as um, the churches, uh, as people like ourselves. Uh, but it we ought to expose what they are saying. We ought to expose what it is they are lobbying for. Yeah, because actually what it's ended up in this year is a continual weakening of the language around the phasing out of fossil fuels. You know, last year in Glasgow, we were disappointed to see that the language in in uh, the outcomes, the resolutions was changed from a phase out of, of coal and new coal sources to a phase down. And now it's it's been weakened even more to talking about low emissions rather than a complete phasing out. Um, so actually what we're not on track to here is a sense of really committing to the urgency um, of taking action that's going to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees, are we? It is, and th- that language, it is important because it does show um, uh, positions w- where countries are at in terms of their positions. I think there is some good news there. Um, the uh, phase phase down of fossil fuels was uh, resisted by India uh, last year. Uh, people might remember the disappointment in the very last hours of um, uh, COP26 Uh, And India was uh, one of those countries um, uh, resisting that language. This year, they have asked for a phase out of fossil fuels in the language. So they have changed. Um, And uh, there will be a push 
for more robust language on phasing out fossil fuels uh, between here and Dubai next year. Yeah, so actually there's um, there's a sense that perhaps where we're finding hope and the outcomes of this year's COP is by seeing it as, as cumulative from the conversations that have gone on before. We're seeing ourselves taking steps forward, even if they perhaps aren't as big as we might hope um, for them to be. So in the context, Steve, that uh, the UN Environment Programme says that emissions need to be cut by 45% by 2030, and we're edging closer and closer to that target. Where does this COP leave us? It still leaves us in a diff difficult place. Um, the policies that governments have enacted so far um, uh, would see something like a 2.7 degrees of warming, the scientists tell us, and that would be devastating. So there's a lot more to be done on pledges. There's a lot more to be done still on um, policies that government can implement uh, in order to bring about real change. There is a relationship between the funding that we can provide for mitigation um, through the uh, global finance facility um, and ambitions of countries to um, achieve that change. If we can get the finance in place, then it unlocks the doors for more ambition, for um, more action on the part of governments. So there's a real invitation for us there as people of faith who are committed to campaigning around um, moving closer towards climate justice, not just to wait for next year's COP and to see what happens there, but to be really proactive between now and then um, so that we can see commitments and infrastructure set up um, that can make COP28 a real success that builds on some of the things that have been started here um, and that, that really moves us forward. Absolutely. And I think one of the things we ought to be looking out for is that anything makes reference to system change rather than just the incremental change that comes about um, through um, a new government statement uh, each year. Um, there was something uh, I felt was encouraging from that, and that is a long section uh, in the cover document from this COP27 on finance. And it states that delivering the necessary funding will require a transformation of the financial system and its structures and processes, engaging governments, central banks, commercial banks, institutional investors uh, and other financial actors. Um, two things that, from that statement I find uh, exciting. One is that the, the language around transformation. Um, uh, and secondly, I think that we're not just waiting around for governments to act. We're recognising that uh, private entities like ban banks are really crucial in liberating the big money, the big resources to make the change that we need. Thank you, Steve, for those reflections and for that kind of catching up on what happened at COP27 over the past couple of weeks. Church leaders from JPIT's denominations have responded to the outcomes of COP27 with a statement, which you can find on JPIT's website, and the link will be in the notes for the podcast. For more from the Joint Public Issues team, you can visit our website at jpit.uk, that's jpit.uk, and on our blog you'll find some of our pieces about COP27 as well, including the hopes that we had for the conference and whether they have been met. If you've enjoyed this podcast, perhaps you could send it to a friend or someone else you'd think would appreciate a catch up on what happened at COP27. Thank you for listening.